0: to dwell well good morning everybody good morning i am having a great day how about you nope. all right it's always a good day to be vertical uh, we're up and moving as best we can we're going to talk today about it's test time again and the interesting thing about today's lesson is um how many of you remember that old sound that came from your school bus Anybody ride the big yellow school bus? All right. I remember I, had ro- I rode one of those. It almost looked exactly like that. Um, and I remember there was old uh, Mrs. Yoder or Mrs. Banks. And early in the morning, Mom would call and get us up, and we'd get ready for school, and here we are. All of a sudden, we knew when we were eating breakfast and putting the finishing touches on, especially get your shoes on, right? We would hear that diesel engine rev up as it turned down Huffman Road. And as it would drive down, it would stop at my friend's house. And then it would stop at my other friend's house. And then we knew we were the third stop. And if we didn't get up and get on out that door, we'd be late. And old Miss Yoder, she'd stand and stop. And you'd hear the screeching of the brakes. I never quite figured out why all bus brakes squeak. It doesn't matter whether they're new or old. I don't know what it is. They all squeak. And then you'd hear that door open. And if we didn't come out right away, uh-uh, Right, uh-uh, and then we knew third time if we weren't getting out that door, forget it, you were late, and I lived in the countryside growing up, and so if that bus left, your mom and dad had to take you to school or you had a there's no way you could walk a ten mile uh, we had snow uphill both ways, the whole nine yards uh, so we knew we had to get out there you had to hit that floor running, so y'all could hear that sound, and then off that bus would take, and we and our friends would catch up with the day and We would sit there and go to school. Well, this brings about this time of year where we talk about taking exams. Now, anybody ever have exams? They're they're fun, aren't they? Yeah. No, okay, not really, but we all have to take them. Well, Paul, our brother Paul is going to give us some instruction, and he wants us to examine ourselves. So we're going to take a self-examine, and we're going to walk through this today as we talk about school, but Paul is going to ask us, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith, or don't you recognize this about yourself, that, that Jesus Christ is in you, And that, unless indeed you fail the test. Of course, nobody wants to fail the test. Now this is contingent upon a couple of things. One is that you've listened to the, the instructions of the apostles and Paul about how to become a Christian. Jesus himself commanded people to repent and be baptized, right? He said that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you. For what? The remission of sins. That's the forgiveness, the washing away of sins. And you'll receive what? That forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's marking you, right, as God's. And so Paul is saying, Well, test yourself. Now, certainly there's more to the more to learning about the Christian life after you've become a Christian than you grow in. But at that particular point, he's saying, Well, check yourself. Where are you in your heart? So that you can make sure you know you will pass the test. And so when you read in the Bible and you read this passage and you see this, this is this comes in a section of Scripture where Paul is trying to encourage the Stronger and the weaker Christians to come together and be unified as a body, and so part of this is you know there are students that seem to have a little bit they're they're better at studying. Um, I, my wife is a much better test taker. I'm a much better studier, uh, but it, it just depends, right? We all and then there's some people that school that's just that's a it's a long road to hoe. It's kind of a survival thing, right? They just sort of get through it. So it, there's there's this section in Scripture that Paul is trying to encourage that the, the, the Christians there don't fail the test of life, even though you know that there'll be trials. You know there'll be exams. You know there'll be things to study. There'll be homework. There'll be peer pressure. But don't give in to those things. Examine yourself and make sure you know Jesus is living in you. And if Jesus is in you, greater is he that is in you than where? Than is in the world. And so we know in Romans 8 that we can be more than conquerors even though we know there'll be tests and trials in life. Because we re- I remember growing up, maybe you remember growing up, that no matter what happened on that first day of school, that bus was coming, but on, for the next 180 days, that bus would keep coming, and we had to be prepared so that when we went to school, we were ready for each day. Uh, no matter what rain shine. no matter what difficulties, we knew we had to be ready. So whenever you take a test, there's something about it that we have to think about that is we get nervous. Whenever we want to do introspective thinking, there's a little bit of um, fear with that because we know personally we're not perfect. We recognize that there are areas that we fall short, but there are things that we often do very well. So there's something about it that even though when we say the word test or we say the word, word examine, there's kind of a nervousness, right, that comes with it. We have to remember to be calm and and remember that God is still in control. And even if we uh, struggle through the test, even sometimes when we do fall, that God is still in control. So don't panic. Keep trusting in him. One of the interesting things about scripture is it teaches us that we're needful of salvation. We're needful of forgiveness. And just because we know that there are times when we do really well and we get an A plus and there are times when eh, we didn't do quite so well, we know that God is still there. Jesus is still there. Pick yourself back up. Keep moving forward. Keep knowing that there will be tests, but be calm. It just makes you aware that, that with failures in life that we're more needful of that. It, it just because we recognize we're more needful shouldn't scare us away. It should just rec- help us recognize that we uh, need to rely more on that uh, loving, saving power of Jesus. And so when you when you gather together each week around the Lord's table, we call that the Lord's Supper, and you take the unleavened bread and you take that grape juice, the example of the wine, of the, the, the blood of Christ, um, you read about in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, this is the last time that, um, you see in the Gospels the institution of the Lord's Supper. And it is a command of Scripture that you practice every week. And then you see Paul uh, remind the church in 1 Corinthians 11 about this, is what you're doing when you gather together. And Paul himself says, Paul himself says that, you know, when you gather together, just as Jesus commanded him, he is, he is sharing with you, just as he commanded the apostles, right, when he was gathering with them at that Last Supper to institute this. Um, you see this in Scripture where Paul is saying, this is what Jesus commanded. When you gather together, you are taking the unleavened bread, the broken, it's the example of Jesus' uh, body that was beaten for us. Uh, when you drink that fruit of the vine, you're drinking the example of the blood that was shed. And so when Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 11, examine yourself, he's saying take, a, take stock so that you know what you're doing. Take stock so you understand why you're doing it, because you want to make sure that you pass this test. And here's the problem that was going on in the Corinthian church. They were gathering together to take the Lord's Supper, and you can see it here set up on the table. Um, They they were coming together, and the wealthier Christians lived in the middle of town, and they had a big spread, and they were not waiting for the weaker Christians or the poorer Christians who got off work and were coming into town to gather at this person's home to worship God together. And Paul was pretty, pretty upset with them. You're letting people that are weaker or poorer who, have, who, and I've done this in China, people have gotten off work and they've come in or we've gone to them because they had a work day and we would have a night worship on Sunday evenings and we wouldn't get home until really late, uh, even with little kids, because we wanted to make sure they had a time they could worship together properly with God. And Paul is saying, you know, you're not really um, very praiseworthy because you're sitting there eating the food You're sitting there, you know, drinking the drink, and then you're taking all the Lord's Supper, and you're not even waiting for your weaker brethren to come. You're just eating everything up and not even sharing with them. One of the things that you notice about the Lord's Supper is, it's one of five acts of worship that you do each Sunday, each Lord's Day. And one of the interesting things that you do about it is, it cuts across all boundaries. Because when Paul reminds them to take the Lord's Supper, It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, weak, strong, good-looking. It doesn't matter what background you've come from. If you've obeyed the gospel, everybody participates in this feast. It is an act of unity, something that we all do together to worship our Lord. And it's regardless of background. If If you've obeyed the gospel and you are a Christian, it's something you should do every single time you gather together on the Lord's Day. And so Paul is trying to admonish the church there to think about this now when we do think about this uh, as we grew up we all know that we had someone that taught us how to do these things and what do we do and what we believe in Scripture and so you if you've learned you've learned from a teacher and how many, anybody was a, anybody here a teacher or have you've taught Sunday school okay so Sunday school well Bible class I mean you've taught in the school public schools I mean if you're a teacher you're, everybody's a teacher in some way because we're teaching somebody something. We're exampling or we're instructing or, or lots of things. But, but I just wanted to take a second and say everybody's had to learn from someone what they believe. And thank you, teachers, for taking the time to example and model and instruct and, and, and be willing to invest in the next generation. The, the fact that you take the time to reach out and to touch that other person's life with what you know Bible, teach, the Bible teaches and how you're able to live that out in your own life, uh, that's a blessing. Because think about this, um, my kids, where do they learn about God first? They learn about it in the home. So parents, were the primary, right? Uh, but now when you go to church in the larger body, you have teachers, you have elders, you have deacons, you have ministers that take care of some of those uh, more detailed responsibilities. But everybody can teach. We can all study the scriptures. So thank you, teachers, for taking that spearhead and really working on this. Let me show you an example in Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.15, you see Paul, and he's reminding Timothy. He's reminding Timothy that from childhood you've known the, the Holy Scriptures. Now, if you read the first chapter there, what does Paul admonish him? And he says, you've known these things since your birth Why? from your mother and from your grandmother, Eunice, And so we know that that Timothy even had a teacher. And certainly when Paul took him on in Troas, he taught him as well, right? He matured in, in his faith such that he could send him out as a minister right to Ephesus. But you see this in Scripture. From the childhood, Paul is praising him. These are things that you have known. Hold on to the truth. Don't shy away from the truth. Here are the things that you've known, Timothy, remind yourself of them, strengthen yourself in them, so that you can share the message with those people in Ephesus that he sent to. And remember, the purpose he was sent to Ephesus was to instruct those that were teaching false doctrines to not do so. How can you teach the truth if you don't know the truth? So Timothy is praised here because he had a teacher. In fact, he's had at least three in his lifetime. And so we ask ourselves this question, who taught us? Who actually kept us under their wing and helped to shore us up? Who are we shoring up under our wing to encourage them to dig in to those scriptures and know what the Bible teaches? Uh, Remember, if we don't teach, we leave ourselves prey to whatever is out there. And so there's lots of people that walk out and say, you know, I am a Christian, but they don't really know Christ. And in order to know Christ, you have to know his word. And as you grow in that knowledge and that understanding, you might look back on your own years and say, man, thank you for my teachers. And maybe somebody someday will say thank you for the years you've dedicated and put into their life. So we all have to think about who taught us. And the other thing that it reminds us of is that we're always preparing. You know, we're always preparing for an exam. Uh, Today was the first day for my kids to go to school. This, they will have some homework when they come home. And that's interesting. Uh, I've never been to a school that was, that was that intense, but that's just the way it is. They have 180 days. They've got to get this done, so they're going to make sure that the kids start off and hit the ground running. And so my kids today, are they're, they're excited. They're glad. They get to see some friends, right? They've missed for the summer. Uh, but at the same time, this is also preparation. And when you see in Scripture, there are many, many cases in Scripture about being prepared. Uh, 1 Peter 3 talks about giving a reason for the hope that that is within you. Be prepared in season, be prepared out of season to give a reason for that hope that's within you. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for conviction, correction, and training, and instruction and righteousness, for reproving so that the the man of God or the woman of God might be fully equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that you are to be a workman, that is able to handle the word right, so that you're able to share what you have learned with others. So we're always in that process of preparing because we don't know when the exam might come. Think about it. It's really basic. You have uh, people that come with life questions, and they want to know uh, why uh, did something happen, or, or, or what is the purpose of their life, or just simple things like how do I behave in this situation, or what do I do in that situation. There's some very pragmatic things that come out of Scripture. And, and if you imagine um, how many times um, you probably have been thankful that you knew that you had someone behind that helped you to understand some Scripture so that when you walked into life, you were not uh, sort of overwhelmed by it. You knew, okay, well, that's an issue that the Bible speaks to. Let me try to respond to that. So that when tests come, when trials come, when there are exams, we know that we are prepared for them. And and when you think about this, um, Kurt Warner, how many of you have seen him? Uh, He just gave his Hall of Fame speech. Uh, Beautiful speech, worth listening to, especially in the last minute. And you might have seen in the last minute, he said, Well, you know, I want to close this by giving thanks to the one who really uh, has been with me throughout the whole process. And he allowed me to go through trials, he allowed me to go through difficulties, but he also saw me through my greatest successes. And then right before he walks off the stage, what does he do? He looks up and says, thank you, Jesus. I mean, how many of us would say, thank you, Jesus? You know, he is the greatest teacher there ever was. Amen? He was the best teacher there ever was. If there's anyone we want to learn from, it would be him. And I'm so thankful that someone that was entered into the Hall of Fame and had such a great career at least knew to acknowledge in that last minute the greatest teacher ever. And he was thankful that he had learned from them. If you get a chance to listen to that speech or at least listen to that last minute, um, do so. It's really worth it. Uh, and because one of the things that teachers do for us is, is they help develop our character. Uh, we're developing a whole person. Uh, we had a conversation with uh, some of the teachers at the coffee on Friday. And the teachers were passionate. I was really excited. It made me want to go back to school. They were passionate about what they were teaching in their particular areas, geometry and and eighth grade math. And I talked to an English teacher. I know English teaching sounds really thrilling, right? Uh, But he was really excited about what he was going to discuss. And I thought, wow, my kids are in sixth grade, but, but I'm excited when they get to your grade because you really believe what you are teaching. And the things that we, they were talking about in the opening, the, the assistant headmaster said, we're going to develop the character, so thank you for entrusting uh, your children into our hands because we're trying to make them a whole person. And I thought, wow, we, you, hit, you hit all the right nerves for me. <laughs> I, I'm excited because I want to see them really blossom because I don't want them just to have head knowledge. We're not just going to open their top and you know dump knowledge in. There's no, there's no real use to just plain knowledge. Knowledge by itself is pretty lonely. It's what you do with that knowledge. It's how you apply that knowledge. It's how it lives out in your life. When we're commanded in Scripture to love God and love neighbor, there's not really anybody left out of that, is there? When we're told that we're to, we're to uh, consider in humility others better than ourselves, we're to be humble. doesn't mean we abase ourselves. It means we just be Humble. Because there's a good chance there's somebody that is maybe a little bit better, and we want to learn, and we want to mature in that. I mean, when you see those things come out, right, in the character of a person, let your words be seasoned with grace, right, Paul and Ephesians. When that comes out, when you see it, when you see the character exposed, doesn't that make you really appreciate Scripture and appreciate the learning that you had before that prepared you for this? And think of how many doors are opened because we were humble enough to learn, rather than arrogant enough to think we already knew. Isn't that interesting? So it really, character matters. Uh, when we take those exams, uh, I remember the week before growing up in college, uh, that there would, the teacher would give us the week before the study guide, right? Here's the review. And it was so nice, right? Here's all the, all the things that will be on the test. Or my favorite was when the professor would say, well, this could be on the test. And we're like, great, we have to study all of it, don't we? You have to memorize the whole, you know, page, the whole semester, right? Uh, Well, we would do that. And I remember uh, my buddies and I, we would have study sessions that week and we would prepare for the following exam that was coming. And we would test ourselves. Now, isn't it interesting that as a Christian, you hold in your lap, you, even something that you can take an open book test on, the Bible. And so you're holding the scriptures within you, and you can know them, right? You can, you can turn those pages and read about it, and in many cases, if someone asks something, you can pull that, that uh, study book out, and you can, you can read it for yourself. You don't have to go, oh, I have to have a perfect memory, because I don't know of anybody. I, I had a professor in college that had static memory, photo memory, But I have met very few people that could just do that, right? Well, a lot of us, that's how we are. We have to study. We have to look. And that's okay. The Bereans were commended for being more noble because they studied the Scriptures to see if what Paul had said was true. Uh, We are commended when we study Scripture because every time we read it, we learn something new. I don't know about you, but I've read um, James many, many times as one of the letters in in the New Testament. Every time I read it, there's something else I pick up. Uh, Whenever I read through the Gospels, there's always something new to learn. There's something to mature in. We go from all those basic facts and the storyline to what is the lesson behind. And you know what? In my maturity, I'm here and I'm growing. Maybe in your maturity, you're further down the road, or maybe you're a babe in Christ and you're only right here. But everybody as they read through the scriptures will mature and grow. And as you continue to go do that again and again. And I encourage a yearly read through of the Bible if you can. Um, daily reading really. But, but a year, at least once a year go through the whole Bible once. There's always something to go, go through and learn. Um, did you know something? The Bible has 10,000 events in it. And it covers a period of 1,500 years. Now when you think about that and you read the Bible, that means that it could take a lifetime to learn, right? But every time we read, we pick up more. And that just means, as we know that that circle of knowledge grows, as, our, as we grow in our maturity of that, that there's just that much more to learn, but there's just that much more we can look back and say how far we've come. That is part of having that study guide right in our laps. Think about what some of the scriptures say. In 1 Peter, you see this here. In chapter 1, right? All flesh is like grass, and all glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. Listen, the knowledge that you learned in school, sometimes it wasn't really applicable. Meaning, I had classes in college that helped make me a rounded person, but I can't say that I would be tested on that in real life. But what you see here in Scripture is there are some things that, that do fade. There are things that do go away. Flesh does change. Man's opinion changes about things. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Think about this. The Bible that you hold in your hand has been around since the New Testament times. About The, the Old Testament was finished about the time Jesus was born and the accepted canon was agreed upon by then. By the time the Jerusalem was destroyed, about A.D. 70 up to 100 that's when the the New Testament canon was established. You've had the scriptures set. This is what God wants us to know, these 66 books of the Bible. We've had those for a very, 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 very long time. <laughs> About at least 2,000 years, right? 1,900 years at least. And so you have this word. And why do we have it? Because it endures. It's long-lasting. It has stood the test of time. It has stood the scrutiny of people studying it. It has stood the tests of you know, historicity and all the fancy words you can throw in there about is it really accurate, is it really worth studying, is it valuable. Folks, the things that we learned a 100 years ago and put in encyclopedias, would, would you go back, if you wanted somebody to do surgery on you, would you want them reading from a study guide from 1908? I don't think so. I don't think, if you were if you were going back all the way to the Civil War, right, when they were taking... Uh, when when, um, they used that big bone saw. We would not want people studying from those books back then. But do you want to know the book that has never changed, that that helps us to live the righteous life before God? It's the Bible. So knowledge changes. Things do change and grow. And certainly we have better medicine just for that example. But we would never want to go back and try to pervert the Word of God because every time we read it, we find something new that we know that God wants us to learn. What did you know about um, uh, Hebrews 4.12? The Word of the Lord is a living Word. It is active, right? It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to pierce, right? Even the bone, even the marrow. Separating and dividing soul and spirit, right? The Word of the Lord, when you read it, it touches you where right in here because it's truth for all time. The things that it has for us is forever. Think about when he talks about it in 2 Corinthians then. So as we study... As we learn, we want to test ourselves. Do we know what we're, we're talking about when it comes to faith? Are we able to examine ourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus lives in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Do we check our hearts? Now, let me put a little bit more of a, a background into this. When the Corinthians were gathering together, and they needed to be unified in this, what does it take for me to be more unified in my fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? That means we have to be considerate of them as we're gathering together to take that supper or to sing those songs or to say the prayers or to listen to the lesson okay, or to give of our means. These are things that we check ourselves on. But not only do we check ourselves on, we rejoice because in 1 Corinthians 11, we are proclaiming his death until he comes when we gather around the Lord's Supper and we break that bread and drink that cup, it's actually a proclamation. We are proclaiming, yes, we are the ones who follow the risen Lord. We're proclaiming His death because by His death, the blood that was shed, all mankind has the opportunity to access the forgiveness of sins. It's right there for all people to enjoy. So yes, examine, check, think about Consider others in that process. And Paul would say, "If you, as you read through that letter, the rest of that in 1 Corinthians 11, he's going to say, judge rightly how you do. What that means is, uh, when you read that passage, you probably have heard it said like this. If we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. That's not exactly what Paul had in mind. Certainly, we already believe that if we were the ones sitting on the judgment seat, we we'd forgive ourselves, right? But when we, are, when we go before the throne, because we know that it's really actually God sitting up there, it's actually Christ seated by, by him, we recognize that we need to ask him for that forgiveness. And what Paul is saying is if you had judged rightly, instead of eating all that food up and drinking all that up and not leaving and sharing with everybody, and then really even being prepared to take the Lord's Supper together as one church when everybody showed up, you, you, if you had judged rightly, you would have waited for your brothers, so that God would not be looking upon this with a frown. He'd be looking on that gathering with a smile. If you had judged rightly, you would not come under condemnation, because you would know that you stand right before God. To judge rightly means that you know everybody passes judgments here and there, and certainly we it, there is a you can talk about Matthew seven about don't judge. We're talking about don't try to sit in God's seat, but we all make decisions every day. He's saying, check your heart, make sure that you're right, make sure that you're right with the body there so that everybody can enjoy that fellowship together around that table as you were to break that bread and drink that cup. So that raises a question that I'll close on. Um, How many of you, when you got your test back from your teachers, it had... A little bit of red ink on it. Or maybe a lot of red ink. I've had a few of those. I've had some essay papers. that The teacher, I think, had to get a second pen. (laughs) But what happens when we look at our life and we say, I feel like there's a lot of red ink on there. I've made a lot of mistakes this week. I've sinned a lot this week. Lord, how do I help me through this? I believe that God wants all mankind to be saved. Certainly if if they don't follow, they don't receive that. But I think he wants that. He loves everybody. He's patient. Faith is not necessarily speaking what we want into existence. It's believing and obeying what he wants. We have to do what he says in the scriptures. So let's take some stock this week to examine ourselves and think about whether we line up with what the Bible is teaching and be careful about what we think or do or say so that we can be in line so that when we gather around that table each week and we break that bread and we drink that cup, we can stand with confidence knowing we're doing what is pleasing and what we, and have done what is pleasing to God. May God bless us as we examine ourselves. Test yourselves. It's test time again. School has started. Oh boy, I'm thinking lots of homework now. And you know what? I'm, I'm actually ready for it. I'm ready to take on that challenge because I know that what God has, even through the trials, even through these tough nights with my son who is a uh, needs a lot of help, I'll put it that way, with studying. Smart kid, but you got to put him to it. I, I'm just ready. I just will hope that we'll all do that for ourselves and make sure that we're prepared so that when